and good morning. Morning church, morning family, family we haven't met much before, but that's okay. My name is Mike, for those who don't know me, I'm part of the uh, YWAM team in, in Adelaide, and we just want to thank you for this opportunity to uh, welcome us in, uh, to, to join you in worshipping God together, to join you and, and hopefully serving you in some way, whether that's in, in singing or um, in hearing the word of God today. I'm going to dive right into it. So God spoke, let there be light, and there was light. God spoke again and again, and there were land, there were seas, rivers, trees, plants, the sun, the moon, the stars, fish, birds, and land animals of all kinds. He spoke, he said the word, and it happened. And then after speaking everything else into existence, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit all wanted to create humans in their own image, to be like them, to have capacity to relate to them, to know them, to worship them, to love them. So God got down into the dirt and he took some mud and he shaped that mud into the form of a man. And God lowered himself to the face of this form and breathed into the nostrils and the man came, came to life and became a living being. Talk about up close and personal. God poured himself into his creation of man like an artist creating a masterpiece. God saw everything he made up to that point and it was all good. But God said it's not good for the man to be alone. Although surrounded by animals, although God himself was there, there were no other humans, no other physical being that was like him. No one that he could be close to enjoy intimacy with. Is that the mic? Share risks and victories with. Do life with. No one like him to be open and vulnerable with. So, God caused the man to go into a deep sleep. And once the man was under God's general anaesthetic, God performed surgery on the body of the man, slicing open the side, removing a rib, closing up the wound. And then God fashioned that fleshy rib like a master sculptor and created a woman. God poured himself. He got involved in his work when he created the woman. God brought this new living human to Adam and they became husband and wife. She was bone of his bone and flesh of his flesh. She was like him, compatible with him, yet different and unique. Male and female, both created in the image image of God. So God got his hands dirty to make humans. 
He didn't stand off at a distance and speak us into being. He was right there, hands-on, completely involved in our creation. He exposed himself to dirt and mud, to flesh and blood and bone to make us. There's a kind of vulnerability, isn't there, of an artist making an art, an artwork, pouring themselves into that, getting involved in their work, and then presenting that for public display. Or a musician writing a song and then getting up in front of a crowd and, and performing that song that they've written, part of themselves, presenting that for scrutiny, for enjoyment. There's risk involved in that. There's vulnerability. Is it any different with God? I wonder how much more vulnerable than to create autonomous living beings whom you want to share life with. God lowered himself to create us and give us life. The psalmist write, writes that he created our innermost being. He wove you together while you are still in your mother's womb. We are awesomely and wonderfully made. Imagine that, God, personally involved in forming you in your mother's womb before you were born. God would personally come and visit Adam and Eve in the garden he created for them. And they would hear him approaching, walking in the garden in the coolness of the day. God and humans shared such a close relationship, intimacy with each other. But God knows you can't force love. You can't make someone love you. So there had to be a choice. Relationships involve risk. So God gave Adam and Eve an opportunity to reject his love, to reject him. Healthy relationships require us to be open with each other. There is a level of healthy vulnerability needed in order for us to thrive in our relationships with God and with each other. Would humans obey God or do their own thing? That was the question back then. God knew what they would do. He knew the risk he was taking would be painful for him as well as for us when we turned away from him. And yet he was willing to take that risk to face the pain, to make himself vulnerable so that he could win us back to himself. So, after God had created everything, he saw all that he'd made and he said, this is all very good. God told Adam and Eve, be fruitful, multiply, have children, make more of you, reproduce more humans to make more people in the image of God. Other beings with the capacity to know and relate to God and to relate to each other as well. So it takes healthy vulnerability. It takes openness. It takes, takes risk. It takes closeness to create new life and for life to flourish. And I think it's the way that God designed it. Think about it. A flower that opens up to allow a bee to come and pollinate it so that it can produce fruit and seeds so more of that 
plant can grow more life. A mother bird sitting on her nest, on the eggs, on the chicks, vulnerable to predators, but risking her life to, to protect her young. Asking that special someone out for the first time. Or getting down on one knee and asking the love of your life, will you marry me? There's risk, right? What did they say no? But without the risk, will there be that relationship? A husband and wife openly come together to make a baby. An unborn infant is vulnerable and dependent completely on their mother. The mother too is more vulnerable during pregnancy. A newborn baby latches onto their mother to get nourishing milk and the mother makes herself vulnerable to care for that baby so the baby can grow and nourish and flourish. A toddler learns to walk by trying and falling, trying and falling, trying and falling. And eventually they, they start to work, they walk, they take a few steps and they fall again, they get up and go again. They learn by taking risk, falling down, getting back up and learning from those mistakes. How many times has someone else made themselves vulnerable to help you? And how helpful was that in your life? for you as a person, for you and your relationship with God? How many times have you failed at something before you got it right, but it was worth it because you learned and you got better at it? How often have you been vulnerable in a relationship and seen that relationship grow and flourish as a result of your vulnerability? In fact, can you think of any meaningful relationship that doesn't involve some level of risk. We're created for connection. We are created for relationship. The same as the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are connected in relationship, in unhindered togetherness. And in the beginning, Adam and Eve were both naked. But neither of them felt any shame. Although they're completely exposed to each other, to creation, the world around them, and to God. Being described as naked possibly goes beyond simply having no clothes. It also implies an openness, an openness of relationship and communication. It implies vulnerability to each other, that there was shared trust and healthy dependency on each other. There were no secrets, there was no shame, there were no negative feelings of being exposed. They felt safe. But Adam and Eve ate the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil that God said, don't eat it. Don't eat it. You'll die. It's not good for you. But they ate. And straight away, they knew they were naked. Straight away, they felt ashamed. The feeling of being vulnerable and ashamed overtook them and they tried to cover themselves with leaves and they hid when they heard God coming to them. They hid from God. Shame took the advantage of their sin and their nakedness 
to lead to negative vulnerability. Healthy relationships require vulnerability and risk, but when sin comes in, shame can take advantage of that, of our vulnerability, to push us away from God and away from each other. So shame takes advantage of our vulnerability so that we push others away. We close ourselves off from God and from each other. But God came looking for them. Where are you? Why are you hiding from me? Oh, we hid because we were naked. Oh, who told you you were naked? Where did that shame come from? It didn't come from me. Oh, did you eat the fruit that I told you not to eat? Did God tell them, oh, you should, you should be ashamed? Did God tell them, cover up, I, can't, I can't, just can't look at you right now? God knew that the feeling of shame did not come from him. He created them naked. There was no shame before they disobeyed him. But now they were closed instead of being open to each other in their relationships with each other and toward God. It's the woman's fault, Adam said. You know, God, the woman you made. It's the serpent. The serpent tricked me. It's his fault, Eve said. This is unhealthy vulnerability based on shame. The knowledge of, the, of good and evil resulted in us shaming and condemning others in a response to our own shame. Justify yourself and blame someone else. How often do we still play that destructive game? Humans' relationship with God and with each other, the relationships were broken. The closeness closed off. What did God do to help them? He covered their nakedness to remove their shame because that's what they thought they needed. God took one of the creatures he had created and he sacrificed his creation to take animal skins to clothe the humans so they wouldn't feel ashamed. God sacrificed for us. What would God do in the long term to save us from ourselves? We, we've already shared communion. We've already remembered the cross. What would he do to save us, us from ourselves, our sin, our disobedience, our shame? God would make himself vulnerable. Even though he was in the form of God, he did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but he, he emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness, and being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Think of it. God conceived in the worm of a young virgin woman, growing inside his mum's belly as a normal human baby boy, yet not just human vulnerable. God is a human born in a village called Bethlehem with an animal feed trough as his cradle 
like we sang earlier, in the dirt, cradle in the dirt. God is a little baby boy, eight days old, circumcised, vulnerable. God growing up with half-brothers who despised him. He lived a perfect life, always surrendered to his Father in heaven. He submitted himself to a baptism of repentance for forgiveness of sins. Not that he had any sins to repent of. Vulnerable. He went without food in a harsh Middle Eastern desert for 40 days. He did life, ate, drank, walked, spoke with normal, broken human beings. He taught, he healed, he touched the unclean lepers and those possessed by demonic spirits. He was accused of blasphemy, accused of himself being possessed by demons, accused of being a drunkard who was a friend of sinners, hung around with sinners and tax collectors. Finally, he was set up in a corrupt Jewish trial. He was beaten. He was made fun of with a crown of thorns forced onto his head. He was handed over to the Romans, whipped until his back was a shredded mess. Vulnerable. On top of it all, he was stripped naked, nailed to a wooden cross, next to one of the main roads that ran outside the capital city, hanging there for all to see as they shook their heads and fists at him. God made himself completely vulnerable and powerless for us because he would not use his power to defend himself because if he did, he wouldn't be able to rescue us and he would not give up on us. He was shamed to take our shame, declared guilty to take our guilt, dying to take our sin bleeding so that we can know forgiveness and again come into relationship with the Creator and with each other. We're all one body, right, like Hannah said. He experienced rejection from the Father so that we can know acceptance. And then he was buried in a cold, dark tomb, dead. Jesus, the Son of God, risked everything to save us, losing his dignity, his comfort, his life. Now we know that's not the end of the story, but let's not miss this point, that God became completely vulnerable. He came down, right down, into our mess to lift us up to God. For Christ suffered once for sins, one time, the just for the unjust, so he could bring us to God. Having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. Yes, he conquered death, he conquered sin, and rose back to new life. And yet none of that would have been possible if he didn't make himself vulnerable for us. So how do we respond? What's this mean for us today? How do we respond to Jesus' vulnerability? We become vulnerable to him. Jesus' model is counterintuitive. It goes against our natural thinking. The way up is by humbling yourself. If you want to be the greatest leader, then serve the most. To gain life, it's by losing it. 
If you want great spirituality and pure religion, then love God, love others, especially the weak, the orphans, the widows, and even love your enemies. It goes against the wisdom of the world. But Jesus calls us to follow his example. Paul tells us to have the same mind, the mind that Christ had when he chose to leave heaven's glory and make himself vulnerable. Have that same mind. Let that be in you. Jesus calls us to deny ourselves, to take up our cross each day and to follow him. Live as he lived. Live to help others, making ourselves vulnerable for the sake of others. Why? Because the way back to openness is by willing to be vulnerable, open with God and others. Real relationships require risk. The possibility of losing something of ourselves, the possibility of being hurt for the good of others, that's love, isn't it? Lowering ourselves to lift others up, just like Jesus did for us. Let's briefly look at a couple of examples. The first one's within the Christian community. James says, confess your sins, your faults to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed because the prayer of a righteous person has great power to prevail. Notice he says, confess to each other. This isn't like a, a Roman Catholic confessional where lots of people go to one person and they, he hears all their, their sins. This is everybody being open and vulnerable to each other because we all have sin, right? We all have faults, we all mess up. Or am I the only one? No, it's all of us, right? So confess your faults to each other and pray for each other. This is a community, an open community. Paul says, since we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in step with the Spirit. Not becoming conceited, not provoking and envying one another, not playing that shame game. And if someone's caught in sin, those of you who are spiritual, come alongside them to restore and do this in a spirit of gentleness, being watchful that you don't get caught up in sin either. Carry the burdens of each other, he says, so that you fulfill the law of Christ. Mutual openness, mutual vulnerability. This is not about abuse. If you or someone you know is in an abusive relationship, then get help. Don't stay there. And this is not about being vulnerable to someone who's never vulnerable but to you. But if one part of the body suffers, we all suffer with them. Rejoicing with those who rejoice and weeping with those who weep. So how can we become more vulnerable in a healthy way to each other? And how can we become more comfortable with letting others be vulnerable to us in a healthy way? People need us to be there, listen, pray with them, not judge, not try to fix them. We need them to listen to us and hear us and pray with us. Healthy vulnerability is a two-way street. Jesus humbled himself to lift us up. Our response is to humble ourselves and trust in him. By the way, validating what someone says in a time of confession is not the same as agreeing that they're right, but it's listening to them without judgment and praying together. God's the one who forgives. I believe mutual vulnerability is an important aspect of a healthy Christian community. 
It's a path to really know others and to, to be truly known. On to the second example. Outside the church. Jesus said, you are the light of the world. You are Jesus' light here and now today in this broken, dark world. Jesus tells us to let our light shine openly, vulnerably, vulnerable, blah, that word, with vulnerableness. Is that a word? Not covered, not hidden, but exposed for the world to see so they can see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. It takes vulnerable, being vulnerable to shine Jesus' light. And people may not want to receive the light. They might try to respond in shame because that's what they know. But we don't need to fear their attacks. Peter says, even if you should suffer for what is right, you're blessed. Don't fear their threats. Don't be afraid. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks to give, the, give reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience. Why? So that those who speak maliciously against your good behaviour in Christ may be ashamed of your slander. When, when someone sees you, you're a Christian, they try to bring you down and they have nothing they can actually blame you for. The shame that they try to put on you will bounce back onto them. How often have non-believers in your life seen you be vulnerable to help them to know Jesus? How can we become more vulnerable to the people around us who don't know him, don't know that he humbled himself for them, don't know that he got his hands dirty for them to create them? Don't know this amazing God who loves them so much and wants to pick them up out of their mess and have them come to him. Today we've looked at God's vulnerability in making us as humans and in saving us by going to the cross. We've seen that healthy relationships require healthy vulnerability and meaningful risks. We've seen that shame seeks to take advantage of our vulnerability so that it wants us to close off from others and from God and, and try to protect ourselves by blaming the others. We've seen that Jesus came to undo this. He came to undo this by making himself vulnerable. And he calls us to do the same. I wonder, what's Jesus speaking to you who is there in your life that he's inviting you to be more vulnerable, vulnerable with? Who is there in, in community who really knows you and you know them and you're growing and flourishing? And how can this increase? Would you pray with me? God, I thank you for who you are. You are the God who is up close and personal. You're not far from any one of us. Jesus, teach us what it means to live like you. Yes, in victory and also with appropriate vulnerability. Taking appropriate, meaningful risks, not silly risks, but risks that can help others to thrive, to lower ourselves in order to build others up. 
And Father, as we do this as community, no one's going to get trodden down because everyone will be taking care of everyone else. So Lord, continue your work in us. Help us to be part of that today and help us to hear what you're calling us to do today and each day, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.